So again, who knows what we're studying? Anybody pay attention? Miss Sharon knows. Focus. Susie, what book are we doing? First Peter. Yes. So. I actually didn't add it to our post until today because I've been going, well, what do, do I talk about Paul? Do I talk about different characters in the Bible that struggled with different things or whatever? And God just kept bringing me back to Peter. And a lot of that is because I resonate with Peter a lot. Um, I am that personality that would have, you know, went for the ear. And, <laughs> you know, um, so when I was thinking about um, what I had written was what was the focus? You know, what is our focus? What are we losing focus? How, is it, how, is, how are we able to get our gaze off of the problem in front of us and get our eyes onto the Father? How are we able to change that? What if we have already messed up? You know, what if I need to confront a situation? What do I do? Do I first, you know, how do I need to prepare my heart first? All of those things. And it reminded me that he has made so many blunders in the beginning that, um, that I have made, I feel just as much, that I can see that there's, hey, I can see that there's hope when we look at Peter by the end of his career. Because, you know, in the beginning of him as an apostle, we saw lots of things that Peter did, right? What are some of the things you can think of that Peter did? Well, you mentioned one, chopped off his ear. Chopped off the soldier's ear, right? He denied knowing Jesus, right? Well, let's just talk about those two right there. You know, we'll come back to um, some of those things a, a little more in depth in a, in a little bit later in the chapter. But Peter, in he's writing this book here, and this is during a time that the Jewish Christians are being persecuted by Nero. Um, it's about 30 years after Christ has died. And um, he is going to tell them, and I'm going to just paraphrase by reading to you what is in the beginning of my Bible, in, you know, the little summary of what's to come. It says, your attitude towards others represents Christ to them. And I thought, well, Peter kind of messed up right away, didn't he? (laughs) Because you know what? He got his focus off of God. One of the things that he couldn't even focus on was Jesus had asked him if he would pray for him and he fell asleep, right? And then he wakes up to Jesus being arrested and he's got his focus still off of God and he goes after someone, right, in defense. He's so focused on the situation in front of him that he isn't getting his focus back on what God has asked him. So it says here, Peter wants his readers to understand this point. Be as gentle as you can. Peter wasn't gentle in the beginning, especially when dealing with unbelievers. Forgive their harshness. Answer those in authority respectfully, even if they don't treat you well. Whether you're dealing with a hard boss, an unbelieving husband, or someone else who sometimes makes life difficult, live for Christ. And don't assert your own rights. Let the unbelievers see your good deeds and notice that you are different. 
Anybody have a hard time living that out? Yeah, it's hard to live it out. I um, no, you don't, Pat. Just you're just raising your hand because we did. <laughs> oh, oh, because I think I'm on Susie's speed dial. <laughs> She's on mine. <laughs> yeah, I don't believe that, Pat. <laughs> Um, I could feel like I'm going along and I, um, I'm feeling really spiritual. We just had our retreat, right? And you get like in that spiritual high, like um, I've been in the word every day. I've been working towards this message that I'm going to give, you know. And then like a week later, because I've like, like a, been on hiatus from even picking up the word, something hits me in the face and I respond like Peter. You know what I'm saying? So we aren't... Um, ever going to be in that place that we just get it and we're just never going to need God, right? It, it is, there's going to be constant challenges, constant trials that come up in front of our face. You know, Peter, he describes himself as an apostle right off in verse 1. He says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ to God's elect. Who are the elect? I know that's like always a conversation of can be controversial, Believers, they're just plain believers. It, it says um, foreknowledge is another word for elect. And um, in other words, God, God didn't choose you to go to hell, but God knew you would choose him. And that there's a two part. And we've gone into this before. And if you have questions about that, we could certainly do a rabbit trail another day on that. But it is a two part thing where God is called everyone but only some will respond. And he already knew who would respond. So he had destined for them to do certain things, do work for him, right? To reach the world with the gospel. He said, strangers in the world, to God's elect, strangers in the world, scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Blithnia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. Through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ and sprinkling by his blood. So he's really talking to everybody, right? To the strangers, to the Christians, to the anybody that will listen to this. Um, you know, in the Old Testament, the Jews had been dispersed. In the New Testament here, we're seeing that the Christians are being dispersed under Nero. They are being scattered because they're being... Um, threatened um, in persecution. And we see in those first verses right there, look in, you will see in verse two, he, he says, God the Father, through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, in obedience of Jesus Christ. What did he just lay out? The Trinity, the Trinity right? So he is showing them there is a Trinity here. He set that up and he says, and the sprinkling by his blood, you know, it's not just about fire insurance. We hear that a lot. It's not just about fire insurance. If there is no evidence of sanctification, what is sanctification? Set Sanctifying. Set aside. Set aside. Yeah, when someone is set aside. Yes. Okay. What, um, it, if I was to say... The sanctification, because he goes on here and says, for obedience to Jesus Christ, if there is no fruit in your life, 
there's no obeying of the word of God, would it be somewhat doubtful that you truly were saved? Maybe not the first day, right? But maybe like day 3,463, you might say, at any point now, you could grow a little. <laughs> but there's a difference. And, I, and I'm not saying that you're looking, you know, I'm looking out and I'm saying, you know what, Virginia, I didn't see any growth of you. I'm saying I'm looking inside of me, right? Because we're not to be pulling out the speck in each other's eye, right? We need to pull the log out of our own eye. But if we're looking at ourselves and we're not seeing any growth, we're not seeing any obedience in Christ, that there's no sanctification happening, no change in us happening, that we're wanting to be more like God, then we do have to ask ourselves. So that is really, when we focus, it's really got to be our first question. Have I focused on my own salvation? Do I have my focus on God and who he is in my life? Is he a priority in my life? How many of you make to-do lists? Oh, yeah. Raise your hand. Hi. Because I like lists. (laughs) Do you ever write on there, like, devotions or quiet time, personal study? Carla, you say no. It's a bonus. All right. Who does? Anybody? Okay. Do Do you ever get to cross it off? Yes. I know. Always. But not always. But it's one of those things that's a goal, right? It's a goal in your everyday. Now, now, there are days you can wake up and your day is run away and you're still running to catch up with it, right? Um, and so in those days, it's kind of like that running devotion. Ever have those? I have more of those sometimes than I have of actually sitting, right? Where you're just like, oh, Lord Jesus, we're on a roller coaster. Where are we going? <laughs> and uh, so when we are in that place... I want you to know that just because you haven't adhered to any certain plan of what it looks like, like I was in church four times this month. I was in Bible study personally, you know, three or four times this week. You know, when you, when you are evaluating yourself by stuff, now all of those things are good. Don't want to take from that. We know that being in church and being in fellowship is good. We know that being in the word is good, right? We know all of those things. But if we are evaluating our relationship with Christ based on boxes that we can check, then we're missing something. We're missing a focus, right? Our focus should just be loving Jesus, and he will do the rest in us. He will give us that craving for him. So when he says here, um, for the obedience to Jesus Christ and sprinkling by his blood. What is he talking to about the sprinkling of his blood? Do you know what he's referring to there? I know Angie does. Go ahead, Miss Teacher. <laughs> I, I, probably, I may not be right. Go ahead. I was just going to say, like, the sacrifice. Oh, yeah, she's right. The, the sacrifices, the covenant, right? The um, just... The priests, when they were anointed, um, we are called priests for Christ when we accept him. Um, They were cleansed. All of these things, they were set aside, as Susie said earlier. Um, But this covenant, the blood covenant that we have with God, um, comes from the blood of, Susie, give me my Jesus word. Jesus. I don't know, I was going to write something. (laughs) 
The blood of Jesus became that covenant. Because of that sprinkling of the blood on us, it no longer fell on us, right? So um, that means all of you that are worried that you have fallen short, you have. I have, right? You have fallen short. But because of Jesus... He's made up the difference right there, right? He's made all the difference, right? Um, there is nothing that, you know, we've said it in the past. There is nothing I can do to make him love me more or there's nothing I can do to make him love me less, okay? Um, he says there, grace and peace be yours in abundance, which is like the classic, they're talking to the Greek and to the Jew. That is greetings that they would be common for both of them and he's combined it. Because he is still saying that this is no longer a message only for the Jewish. This is a message for everyone. Um, So verse 3 says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ in his great mercy. His great mercy. Anybody love mercy? I have a dog named Mercy. There is no mercy with mercy. Carol knows, doesn't she? Poor Carol. Carol bit. Carol got bit by mercy. (laughs) Carol got bit by mercy. Yeah. Um, But Charles Spurgeon had a quote that I just loved. If you hear this, it says, No other attribute could have helped us had mercy been refused. As we are by nature, justice condemns us, holiness frowns upon us, Power crushes us. Truth confirms the threatening of the law, and wrath fulfills it. It is from the mercy of God that all our hopes begin. So mercy is where hope begins, right? Because we know we don't deserve it. I might not be able to see one thing Pat thinks she should be raising her hand for, but Pat certainly knows what it is, right? Right? She's wrong, but (laughs) she thinks she's right. (laughs) But I know daily I could tell you the things that I have done that would embarrass me sometimes to even admit to one of you. Right? Anybody else? Am I the only person? Thank you. Okay. Yeah. Because I can be a scuzz bucket. I really can. And I wouldn't even use the word scuzz bucket. It would be something way more awful. But he says here, there, he has given us new birth with that new creation, right? New birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. You know, we sing the song Living Hope that, you know, recently we just brought in. And, um, and it's about this eternal life that's incorruptible. It's never going to fade away. It's never going to go away, right? It is not something that is, um, when we look at it and and, and he says, I'm going to give you a hope, but not a hope just for today. I'm giving you a hope for eternity, right? Does that give you any amount of comfort in this world, especially right now? Yeah that there is, there is something way better to look forward to, right? And we can feel like, I mean, I don't want to, um, 
I'm not going to politically bash or anything, but there was a comment, and some of you will hear it and know it. There was a comment that was made um, that an administration only looked at science. And it was meant to be very critical that they would own, that they would never look at science. I'm sorry, that they don't look at science and they don't consider science the answer. And um, I was thinking to myself, because they have a hope, there's something more than science. Not that science gets thrown out the door. It's just that there's a hope in something greater than that. And that's the part that is missing. But the persecution that comes on the heels of someone thinking that you're a fanatic because you're a Christian. Do you know, in this day and age, when Peter was talking to them, they were considered atheists. And you go, what? What we know of as atheists is people that don't believe in God, right? Who was their God at that time? The emperor. If you didn't proclaim that the emperor was God, you were an atheist. I like, because sorry, I like Trump. He's not my God. <laughs> right? <laughs> I'm just saying. <laughs> and, and that would go for any president, right? Anyone that was, is in control. Um, that's not your God. Your God is something far more than what this earth has to offer far more than this mentality can understand. And so this loving hope that we have is that we're not stuck with the finite thinking of man. We're not stuck with that. We have this eternal hope. Things that are so, we so can't imagine them that even them trying to describe them in scripture gets cut short of what heaven will be like, what eternity is like. We get like glimpses of something that if I was blind to it and somebody was telling, which I am blind to it, but I'm saying if I was blind and someone was trying to describe a sunset, would you get it? No, you couldn't understand the beauty of the colors mixing and you know things like that because you have no concept. We have no concept of what heaven is truly going to be like we get glimpses of you know well i know what the color is i know what the jewel is i know what paved gold probably looks like you know and then and who do we what do we know it's only maybe metaphors of what it all is we don't know all we know is it's way better in here right so he says verse four and into an inheritance that can never perish spoil or fade kept in heaven for you. Three things there. Number one, an eternal inheritance. That Greek word, you ready, Susie? This one really spoke to me, you know that. <laughs> I'll give you my notes later because you're going to ask me how to spell it. Internal okay. um, inheritance, the Greek word is kleronomia. It is the same word to describe an allotment of land to the tribes of Israel. Now, the land was divided to each tribe. The same thing. We've been given a portion of heaven. Whoa! I didn't even have to earn it. It just been inherited it. Isn't that amazing? Then he goes on and he says the next one, eternal possession. 
And, and it may look a little different in some of your versions. But eternal possession, that Greek word is emeriton. It is describing a flower. Anybody ever even heard of it, emeriton? It's describing a flower that would live eternally, never wilting or dying. So something that would live on forever. And then he said reserved in heaven. This is probably my favorite one. The Greek word here is to teramenon. And it is an inheritance watched over or guarded and will never be lost or taken away. It is protected by the power of God. And it says that it, was, it will be revealed later on. Goes on and say in verse 5. But that protection, that inheritance that is watched over a garden, if you struggle with whether or not you can lose your salvation, here's a verse to tell you it's not even yours to guard. God's guarding it. God's watching it. He will preserve you, and he will keep you. Isn't that a cool thing to know? It's not something, because I would mess it up, right? I would lose it. How many times I cussed that day? <laughs> you know, <laughs> right? How many times I yelled at someone or lost my temper, you know? I've never kicked the dog, so I'm not going to say I kicked the dog, but you know what I'm saying? Yeah, I might have thought about kicking the dog once, but you know. But you know what I'm saying? It is, it is not something that we are going to lose, something that we can, um, can become out of our grasp. And you know what? It's some of the, the bigger, deeper things. There is no big sin, little sin. All sin is sin. The blood is on you, and you are covered from it all. You are watched over, and you are kept. Ephesians 1.13, you are sealed with the Holy Spirit. So... Verse 5 says, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. So right there, you're being preserved already for the end. Would he have written that if he thought you could lose it? No, he wouldn't have written that. Yeah. Chuck Smith said, what is your part in all of that? Yeah, be thankful. To bear fruit. To bear fruit. All those things. Well, what's the one thing that God requires from us? Faith. 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 Belief. Like he, and he even helps us with that, scripture tells us, right? So believing, God's done all the work that I don't have to do it. I don't have to try to make up for the things I did bad yesterday, today. I don't have to try to um, earn more grace. I don't have to try to earn forgiveness by showing it through the works that I do, right? All of those things, like we said in the beginning, all of those things, going to church, praying more, reading the Bible more, you know, having fruit in our lives, all of those things happen just because we believe who God is and we accept his gift of grace. And we have this love relationship with him back and forth that propels us. Because don't we like to be loved? Don't we like it when we're in a loving relationship, right? If we focus on 
all of those negative things and that we somehow um, have to earn it, we put God in a place that he's not the nice guy, right? We, we, we somehow think that we got to fix it with him all the time. And he's going, I don't even see you that way. I see you pure as snow. I see you as a priest. I am no priest, right? I see you as pure and spotless and blameless because of Jesus, because the blood is on you, and that's all he can see. I like that what he said. He went on to say God did all the work. He said he didn't leave Chuck Smith. He didn't leave anything as important as the work to someone as weak as you. <laughs> right? He said you'd mess it up. <laughs> Amen. Amen. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. Anybody had a trial? Anybody had so many trials they can't even count them? Multiple trials at once? Yeah. Anybody not in a trial? We want to be hanging out with you. Right? Right? Nobody? Nobody's not in a trial. Okay. Well, when I... That did it. Did good. Amen. <laughs> right? Yeah, we're all yeah, we're all in the same place. We always have these trials, and it blows my mind when I read about them that God allows these trials, right? With Peter, before he went through denying him three times, Jesus told him in Matthew, he said, um, guess what, Peter? Satan's come to me. He asked if he could sift you like wheat. And I'm praying for you. If I was Peter, I would have quit right then, right? <laughs> but you know what? We, we do. We do feel that way. Like we want to quit in the trial. Like all of a sudden, God's not going to be with us. He's not going to be interceding for us. And that we're somehow alone in that. Do, do you agree? Do you resonate with that? I, I know I do. Like all of a sudden, I'm on my own. Where are you, God? You know, why is this happening? And God's like, I've been here all along. Satan asked if he could do this. I know you got this. I'm right here. Dig into me. I am interceding for you. All of those things. We can apply that same scripture in our trial right now today. Because Jesus tells us that's what he's doing. All along the line, Tracy, while you're going through your trial right now, Jesus is interceding for you. You are not alone. Every one of us. And uh, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry, but, but it is a truth. And he says, why does he allow these trials? Because we ask that question, why, God, why? Why do you allow these trials? Anybody come up with the answer? To make us stronger. Make us stronger, right? And to make us um, able to assist others. Others? Absolutely. Anybody ever had a trial? God's never used it? <laughs> no. Which is why there's how many of us in the room? And we're like, yeah, me too. Right? Because we, we may have a little bit different, but I guarantee you, when we did the women's conference, we had four different speakers. If I'd have been the only speaker, which I have been in the past, which may have been a mistake, but this time God let us 
differently. And not everybody's going to connect with my story. But they connect with Susie. They connected with Angie. They connected with Beth. And it was different people for different topics, right? Maybe it's um, my marriage is hard. And Susie brought this awesome, hey, I'm going to you, tell you a testimony of what a crappy marriage looks like and how God can redeem it, right? Or you got Angie, whose family, you know, dealt with alcoholism and things, and God redeemed it, you know? Or you got Beth you know, wrestling with personal image and how God has redeemed it and gave us this awesome, awesome, if you haven't heard it, we do have a podcast (laughs) Um, of all of their messages. And so when we look at those things and we go, you know what, God, like Kathy said, I can share what you've given me to encourage someone else. I don't want to encourage someone else some days. Um, I don't want to have to have a problem that I have to share. But you know what? I have never regretted it. Have you ever regretted being able to encourage someone because you've been through the same thing? No, you're like, girlfriend, I got this. Hold on, sit down. (laughs) Right? (laughs) Because God gives us that victory through it. And he says that, like she said, he says, In this greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, it seems like forever sometimes, He says, for a little while, you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. That all kinds is is the Greek word is many colored. That's like a coat of many colors. That's like a a vein running through a marble that has all those different pretty colors. It is is, um, many things. It's just saying it is everything from I'm dealing with my kids to I'm dealing with personal health issues to you name it, everything's going on. And sometimes many things going on at once. And he's saying, you may have to suffer for just a little while. Why? These have come. Here's your answer. These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. The goldsmith, you know that. I meant to bring this. My son is a welder. One of my sons is a welder. I have five boys. Um, And when he starts out with a piece of metal that he's going to make into a piece of art, it is dirty and ugly and black and looks unattractive. And for Christmas this last year, he made me this... I don't remember what it says now. I look at it every single day. Uh, it's like baker's going to bake or something. You know what I'm saying? And, um, but he takes the metal and he heats it to such a high temp and does the work on it to where it brings out all of these beautiful colors, purples and blues and oranges and reds. It is gorgeous, the piece of art he can make just with a stick of fire, you know? And it, the goldsmith here that he's talking about, and this is a story that comes from the Old Testament as well, um, is that the goldsmith, when he was proving, there's that word for, for what they do with gold, when he's proving it, um, he'd hold it in the fire until he could see his reflection in the gold. And this is telling us that God holds us in the fire just long enough that he can see his reflection back in us. Isn't that cool? Like he's going, all right, it's only a little while. Hold on, hold on. 
Ah, gotcha. Okay. And then pulls it back out. And he's like, I'm using this to prove you. Not to prove you to me, but sometimes that trial is only meant to prove to us where we actually stand with God. Right? I get reminded of things. When, I, when I've gone through big trials in my life, um, I thought I was a good Jesus girl, you know? I thought, you know, I'm in church, teaching Bible study, I'm on the worship team, I'm doing all these things, you know, we were teaching youth at the time, you know, all this stuff, and I'm thinking, ding, doing everything right, bing, 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 bam, big, huge trial in my life, and I was like, I have no footing, I have lost it, um, and I was fighting probably for the first time in my life to try to find that all of those scriptures that say that God is my rock, that um, he is my fortress and my deliverer. And I'm like, God, I know the words. Now I need you to make it in me a truth, right? And that is a painful experience, but I wouldn't trade it for the world to come out on the other side knowing that truth in my life. And what it really meant beyond words to rely on God, dig into God, and for someone to be able to take from that and say, I see how God worked in your life, or I see how God used that, and, and, I, and I'm going, that was all Jesus, right? That was all Jesus, because it had nothing to do with me. But, but when God says, you draw near to me, I will draw near to you. If you trust in me, you can trust in me, then I will deliver you from this. And that... Again, it becomes way more when you walk through fire than when you don't walk through fire, right? If you have no example to go off of, anybody ever get a spanking? Right? A whooping, right? Right? And then you know those kids that never get the whooping, they just get the threat, and they just keep doing it and keep doing it and keep doing it, and then all of a sudden the kid gets the whooping and they're like, Whoa! <laughs> I got it. I changed my ways, right? Now, God's not doing this to be mean to us, though, is he? He wouldn't put us through something he know would kill us emotionally, physically, and spiritually. He does not do that. He puts us through things that are hard, and we have to rely on him. If we didn't have things that relied on him, which, you know what? If we didn't have those things... We wouldn't truly have that relationship with God, would we? I'm going to say it right now. I've been married to my husband 30 years. And I could be married to him on paper for 30 years, right? But I wouldn't really know the guy unless we'd had some knockdown drag outs. You know what I'm saying? And then survived those and then had some really good days. And then survived those, and then had some kids, and then survived those, right? <laughs> right? All of those things that happen that create life, that create relationships. If I didn't have those relationships, opportunities with God, I would never grow closer to God, right? Um, because it's easy for us just to say, Jesus. It's easy for us to go to church. It's easy for us just to skate through and wear our little, you know, Jesus hat. But when we go to share who Jesus is with someone, like, 
There's no depth in that, right? But when someone comes and they give you a testimony that sends goosebumps all the way down you because you're like, wow, like Angie said, I have no testimony, you know? <laughs> Which is not true, by the way. <laughs> she says a different testimony. Um, but there are those moments that God uses each and every one of those things because he's in a relationship with us and he's a relationship guy and he wants us to have relationship with one another. Hmm? He says, um, though you may not have seen him, you love him. Even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. I'm not inexpressibly having, I, maybe I am. <laughs> um, that was cute. <laughs> that inexpressible glorious joy isn't about being in the trial, is it? What is it about? Yeah, knowing how it all ends. God's with you every step of the way. Absolutely. That's kind of like this whole message here. He says, For you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning the salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you searched intently and with the greatest care, trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you. And when they spoke of the things that have not been told you by those who have been preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, even angels long to look into these things. All of that to say, you were already considered a long time ago, before the earth was created, before the foundation of the world, you were already considered. In fact, they were talking about you. Prophets in the Old Testament were talking about you and what was to come and who Jesus was and what the plan was, and they didn't even understand what they were writing. And they, in Daniel, it was, um, well, you know, what is this? You know, and he says, it's not for you to know right now. Seal it up. Okay? In uh, Psalm 22, it also speaks of... Another, you know, it's not for you to know right now. You'll know later. We have one of those right now, don't we? We don't know. We don't know the day or the hour. The angels don't know the day or the hour. The angels haven't known the entire plan of salvation as well as the Israelites didn't. They're watching it unfold as well, it tells us in Scripture. All they know is, here's your marching order for, t- for today, the same as you and I, Right? we don't know what tomorrow holds. And so our whole salvation depends on just trusting in Christ. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled and set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. Some of you may have their gird up the loins of your mind. You've got like a King James version. (laughs) Yeah. Gird up the loins of your mind, and I'm like, what? Because that does sound wrong. <laughs> what is yours? Prepare your minds for action. 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 Prepare your minds for action.
prepare your minds for action, right? Now, when I think about that, um, I think, how does my mind get active? How do we get there? We pray. We pray, okay? Now, the reason why the King James Version says, gird up the loins of your mind, he's trying to give them a picture. Because remember, they wore those long robes. And so when they were going to get to action, and they are going to go plow a field or something, they'd tuck those robes up in the belt, and then they'd have like a short skirt so they could get busy, right? And he's saying, get busy, but get busy in your mind, because that's where it starts, right? It's not in your actions, it's in your mind. So he's saying, you know, be sober-minded. Some of you might have that. Be sober-minded, be self-controlled. And... um I have a thing here. Here it is. I was um, reading these little, they're like illustration things, and I love this one. It said, a businessman well-known for his ruthlessness once announced to Mark Twain, before I die, I mean to make a pilgrimage to the Holy Land, and I will climb, climb anybody want to read? <laughs> I will climb Mount Sinai and read the Ten Commandments aloud at the top. I have a better idea, replied Twain. You could stay in Boston and keep them. Right? You could have an action or you could put your mind to it, right? (laughs) Um, And so he says, as obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy... Be holy in all you do. You know, I said I would come back to Peter, and um, I was reading this character thing on Peter. And so I'm going to repeat some of them. But he said, he called himself a witness of the sufferings of Christ in 1 Peter 5.1. But he was not there during the crucifixion because he was hiding in fear. He tells us to be eager to serve in 5.2. But he remained seated while Jesus washed the disciples' feet. Washed the disciples' feet. He tells us to be clear-minded and self-controlled so we can pray. But he fell asleep while Jesus sweat blood. He tells us submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority in chapter two, verse thirteen. But he lopped off the ear of a soldier. Peter was a leader, and he was a decision maker. But when he saw things and he heard question, he thought answer. If he heard problem, he thought solution. If he heard silence, he thought talk. If he heard disagreement, he heard challenge. Is this starting to resonate with some of you? Um, if he heard error, he heard correction. In his younger years, he was somewhat cartoonish or buffoonish, and we make fun of Peter a lot, right? Um, he was immature in some of his decisions. But I love this quote. Peter survived himself. (laughs) Love it. He survived himself and God refined him. Right? And by the time Peter died, all of those things he claimed he would do for Jesus, that he would be, you know, he would be beaten with him, he would die with him, all those things. He was beaten, he was imprisoned, and he died so that he would because he would never deny his faith again to someone. That is sanctification. That is the process. So if you're expecting yourself to be holy today, 
If someone's not telling you, I will. I mean, hey, <laughs> hey, Holly, girlfriend. Um, but you know what? We we have the mindset, though. Like like Pat said, we have the mindset that we're going to get into action about trying to be holy, right? And that is, like he said, getting out away and set apart that sanctification word, set apart from the things and the person we used to be and being the new creation we are now, right? We need a new mindset. Like I don't have to respond in the same way I used to. I can choose to do something different. It's hard to change our habits and our ways, isn't it? God never said it was easy, but he promised to be there with it. Peter had to have changed, right? He had to have evolved in some of that. I think of Paul. Do you remember the story where Paul um, and Barnabas got in an argument over Mark? Anybody, for some of you, you might remember. Okay, so Mark was like this young guy. He was really immature, probably like a Peter, right? And um, he, Mark got scared, and he... Um, decided he wanted to go home. And Paul, he lost his patience with that. And he was just like, you know what? He's too mature to go on the road with me. I'm done with him. And Barnabas said, no, I don't think he's done. I think he just needs, you know, he's Pat over here, the encourager. You know, I think he just needs a little help. I think he needs to be, be discipled. You know what? I'll go my way. You go your way. And you know what? Later on, when they came back together and Mark was a little more mature and he'd been discipled, all of a sudden... When, when Peter, or I'm sorry, when Paul was going to die, he was concerned about Mark being there because he, he had developed a relationship with him. He had changed his mindset about him. He had decided not to hold who he used to be over him. His mindset changed as well, right? We are constantly, if we are plugged into God, constantly um, being sanctified in those kinds of thoughts, right? And so, For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Since you call on a father.